Welcome to the Living the Dream Podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Hello and welcome to another episode of Living the Dream with Curveball. I'm your host, Curveball, and today I am joined by David Richards. He is a Marine officer, a yoga, yoga instructor, a corporate executive, a life strategist, as well as the number one international best-selling author. David, thank you for joining me. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here, Curveball. Absolutely. Let's start off by talking about who you are, um, what you do. Just, just kind of give a brief overview of your life. <laughs> yeah, a brief overview. Yeah, I, you know, uh, I'm I'm a traveler on the planet just like everybody else. But um, for me, I grew up in the military. So my dad was in the Marines. And I didn't realize that I was already kind of in the Marines even when I was a kid. And then uh, I went to college and joined the Marines, spent 15 years there, got out, uh, got right into yoga as I got into kind of working corporate America. Um, that really led me on a journey of kind of internal development discovery and, and turned me into a, a life strategist, a keynote speaker, and, uh, and then an author. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been quite a journey. Well, how did you go from being a Marine officer to a yoga instructor? It, it certainly wasn't in the cards. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, getting out of the military, um, especially when you don't have a frame of reference for what life is like outside the military, which I really didn't. So what I mean by that is uh, we lived on military bases most of the time. There was a period of four years when I was in kindergarten through third grade where we lived what I would consider out in town. So we lived with civilians. Well, that was pretty, you know, a few years after the Vietnam War was winding down and I didn't fully, I wasn't certainly in tune at that age that people might not like who my dad was because of the military, because of Vietnam. Um, and so I got out uh, in 2006 and was just trying to figure out what I was gonna do. I had a, I had a job with a, a great IT company and, um, but like I wanted to, like, who was I? And that was the thing that I kind of wanted to answer because in the Marine Corps and in the military in general, you kind of get your identity given to you. And it's not to say that like they completely strip you away of something, but you know, as a Marine, you were a Marine 24 hours a day and there were values that you were expected to uphold and, and embody. And it didn't really matter if you were in uniform or if you were going to 7-Eleven to get something to drink, like you had to do that. And so, I could immediately kind of sense in the civilian world that people operated on completely different programs than kind of the unified approach we did in the military. And um, I just happened to read a Sports Illustrated magazine article about um, NFL players using yoga to strengthen their midsections. I worked out a lot. I kind of wanted to get back into more seriously into weightlifting to stay in shape now that I was out. Um, and so I went to a yoga class. It was kind of a gentle class. It wasn't really strenuous. And I thought it might be nice to stretch between lifting weights. And then I went to a class 
um, like two days later, it was a different class, different style and structure. And I'm just drenched in sweat, even though we're inside. And it was just kind of like, what is happening? And then what I realized was I would go to work and, and my last assignment in the military, I was working a lot in Central America. And so I just wasn't behind a computer that much. I mean, I might get 50 emails a week and I get out and I'm working for this IT company and I'd get 50 email in like two hours. And so this noise just started coming into my brain and it was like, oh my gosh, what is like, I would just, I would leave work and I would have like static going through my head because of all the to-do dates and the reminders and the memos and all these emails. And I got it to a yoga room and I did a class and like my mind just got quiet. And it like, at first I kind of didn't know it was just almost overwhelming, but it was like, I like the silence and the stillness of like being present, which is kind of what yoga teaches you. And so after that second class where I was drenched in sweat, I just got hooked. I became an instructor a year later, so 2007. Um, and then I think in 2009, I uh, opened a studio here in North Carolina with someone uh, um, who partnered on the studio for about, I think five or six years. And then I gave up my interest in it. It's still going really strong. and. Uh, and I teach now at my gym. So, um, but that's been, you know, that's 14 years ago. Let's talk about your books. Give us a brief overview of your book and when did you start getting into writing? Yeah. So, um, the, to answer your second question first, um, I think I've always loved storytelling and, you know, so as I said, growing up in the seventies, we had, you know, I remember watching Spider-Man on TV, um, the cartoon, and, or my brother and I would watch Star Trek, but like comic books were a big release for me. Like that one, and because we moved so much, we moved every two or three years, I kind of realized that was something I could take with me when everything else around me was changing. Like my family was the same, but my friends were gonna be different. And it was like, I was never gonna see my other friends again because it was the seventies and eighties and we didn't have all the communication we have today. Um, so creative, like the, the creativity of comic books, like Captain America and Iron Man, the X-Men, it really like resonated with me. And part of that was like when I was a kid, like young enough to play with toys, like we lived in Japan and they had the coolest toys ever, like just amazing toys. And so we, my friends and I would build out these stories with all these toys and that translated to drawing, but I wasn't as good as my friends at drawing. And so I got into writing in high school and I, I wrote in college. When I joined the Marines, I kind of put writing aside because I felt like it wasn't compatible with being a Marine because again, it's about like this identity that you think you have to adopt for the military. Um, and then about 10 years into my military career, I had a boss who liked to paint. And it was kind of a revelation for me because it was, uh, like I just hadn't experienced that before. Like I was in the combat arms, like I was in artillery and guys didn't talk about painting or certainly not about writing poetry and that we were talking about like military stuff. Um, so that like kind of opened me back up and this is probably 2000, I, I started writing poetry again. And I, I had a friend who became this like really intense muse and I could just like, I wrote like I had this three month spurt where just amazing poems were coming and it was so cool. And then like, I kind of let it go again because I got into some academic work for the military. And I just like, 
I don't know, it was just disconnected kind of. And uh, I got out, wanted to write a horror story because I'd always liked Stephen King. Uh, and then 2017 came along and I hadn't, hadn't written any books yet, but I read a book, uh, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And in that book, the first or second chapter, he asks, what's the purpose of your life? And it was this eye-opening wake-up call that I had never looked at my life as having a purpose. And so I wrote a purpose down. Uh, I started writing this book and, uh, and then I guess by June of 2017, I'd come up with whiskey and yoga about finding your purpose in life. And it's um, a 10 chapter short read. You probably read it like in an afternoon. Um, but it was, it was kind of me understanding how to carve and create a purpose out of life. Um, and in that book, I talked about the idea that your mind is an ocean. So picture an ocean and all your memories, everybody you've ever met is in this ocean. And then kind of in the middle of the ocean, there's this lighthouse and that lighthouse is your awareness and you can shine your awareness anywhere in the ocean you want. And with practice, with, you know, consistency, with focus, you can start to control where that lighthouse shines in your mind. And so I, I wrote that in 2017. And then about a year and a half later, I thought, um, I, I had some inspiration. I was like, that's a great idea for a book. So I wrote a fiction book called The Lighthouse Keeper, but it's a story of how to master your mind. And that just came out uh, this past summer. Speaking of mastering your mind, how do you master your mind? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, I think the first step um, is pattern interrupt, right? And I think that's the easiest way to say it. So before the pandemic hit, uh, most of us who had to go to work and didn't, and that didn't mean just going someplace in home and working, but getting in a car and going somewhere, we would take the same path to work every time because we found the shortest path. And so what happens during that time is you, you go on autopilot. So, and I used to, my, my office is five miles from where I live. And so I would take, you know, I would drive and before like they opened up the highways and expanded the highways, it was, it could sometimes take 20 or 30 minutes if traffic were bad. So I'd listen to, maybe a book on Audible or a podcast or something, but I had my routine down. And what I was finding was like, so that like, I'm not really thinking. I'm, my, my, I'm daydreaming because I'm going through these things. I'm thinking about stuff that I'm not actually doing. I don't want to drive. I want to think about driving because traffic's bad or whatever. And so what you realize is, well, if I change the route, I go to work. Now I have to pay attention. And so what paying attention really means is I'm kind of collecting my awareness instead of thinking about what I have to do when I get to the office or what I said to my wife on the way out the door, because now we're in an argument, I'm, I'm thinking about, wait, do I take this turn? How do I, ooh, why? So now I'm more present. And so then what you realize is, well, if you start to interrupt enough patterns, you start to get to a place where you create enough space where you're kind of consciously present that you can say, okay, hey, I can direct my life. So. So, you know, there's other pathways besides pattern interrupt. You can look into meditation, you can look at journaling, but it's all about kind of getting in touch with yourself so that you can start to design your life instead of reacting to your circumstances. Does living with a purpose mean, meaning, mean not living in the moment? You know, that's a great question. And I think people think that like, 
living in the moment means not having a care in the world. And I think there's certainly a, a, a joy, a bliss to be completely, you know, carefree, whether that's college or teenager. Like, I think we've all had those moments, but I think what I feel you can absolutely have a purpose. If I know in three years, this is where I want to be in my life. I want to live in this country. I want to have, this is like what I do for a living. Um, I want this, you know, family, then everything that I'm doing should be focused on that because that's ultimately what my life is going to resemble and reflect. So there's nothing wrong with saying, this is what I want for, for me and my family in three years. These are the steps I'm going to take in the next 90 days and then say, okay, now because I know what I'm doing, I'm actually able to bring more of myself into the moment. So I think you're actually living more in the moment. It's just, you're moving directionally instead of sort of just kind of scatterbrained because you're reacting to other people or you're trying to impress other people or you're afraid to talk to yourself. So it, I, I think those two things aren't completely incompatible at all. You can absolutely be present and directionally focused towards your life streams. What do you feel is the greatest thing holding people back? You know, honestly, it's, it's themselves. I think it's, it's fear. I think it's fear of failure. And that's the, that's the, the number one thing because people lack sometimes faith in themselves and it goes back to some of our patterns. Well, if, if you tell me to paint um, the Mona Lisa and do as good a job as I can, so it looks exactly like the original, I'm not a great painter. And so now, but I have to paint it the way you've told me, I'm gonna put this intense pressure on myself. And even if I try to pep talk myself, I know I'm not a good painter. And so I'm going to start painting and I'm going to look at the Mona Lisa, the original. And I'm like, oh, this isn't going to work out. Oh, crap. I knew it. This sucks. And so I turn in this nightmare. And what I really did was I reinforced my behavior because I said, I can't do this. I know I can't do this. It's not going to work out great. And so people tell themselves enough about taking risks in their life to really make their life better that they say, ah, you know what? That's, I'm not really into that. I'm not, that's not worth my time. And the reality is, the more you take ownership for who you are, the more you can build that energy to create the life you want. And, you know, I, I, just, I just had this conversation with my college roommate um, because he, he, he just like a month ago ran a hundred mile race. And, um, and I do Spartan races. I do like obstacle course races, but a hundred miles. Like he, he said something to the effect, we were texting and he said, yeah, I got a blister. The last 30 miles are really hard. Well, I don't know about you. I've run 32 miles one time in my life, and that's probably all I'm ever going to do. So for somebody to say the last 30 miles are really hard. So we talked about, like, what does it mean to fail? And, you know, failure is just a way to confirm a path towards what you want doesn't work. That's all it is. It's not like this doom and gloom, I'm not good enough. It just means, hey, this path doesn't get me to where I want to go. So I got to change something on the path to get a different result. And I keep doing that enough and I get better at understanding how to do that. I can make bigger assessments to take bigger leaps and I may still fail, but if I kind of repeat the same ideas of how to be successful and measure my risk, then I'm going to learn pretty well. And I'm always sort of going to be uncomfortable because that's where I know I'm going to grow. 
What are some of the things you are most grateful for? Man, you know, just the relationships in my life. I think the chance to speak to amazing people like you who want to get people to talk and think about their lives differently. Um, I think just, you know, it's so interesting that I think one of the things that's happened during this unbelievable time in the world's history is people are spending more time at home. And in a lot of ways, that's a metaphor for people are spending more time with themselves. And even if you have a big family, it's almost like you may go to the grocery store, but you may, you may go to the gym, but you're not traveling. You're not like out and you're not, you're really, the family has become this nuclear thing again, whatever that means. And at some point you're like, you realize like you're, you're stuck at home with yourself. And so it's an opportunity to start like really reflecting on what's important to you in your life and 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 not be afraid to do that and that's the thing that people it goes back to that fear of failure like what if i look at myself and i don't like what i see well just keep looking like it's everybody is beautiful and it just takes a moment to accept that what is your opinion on the universe spirituality and god <laughs> where do you want to start um you know it's funny because i um i was thinking as we've turned like so we got what three months left in the year in this incredible year, this pandemic, the social upheaval and unrest, the political turmoil. And um, it's, it's really like been an amazing time. And I think like when I, when I think about all the possibilities of, of like what this year could have been. And, and I remember I wrote like 2020 was going to be the best year ever. And in some ways it has been because I like, I, I, when I was a kid, we would go out on Christmas Eve, get ready for church. And I always used to look up at the stars and like wonder, like, like, where was Jesus? Cause this tonight, like December 24th is always about baby Jesus. And I'm like, where was Jesus? Like he's supposedly like, like, I didn't know that I was a kid, but I knew this story. And, um, and I think like going through the military and, you know, seeing in some cases a darker side of, of life that not a lot of people have to see, like it, it, it certainly pulls you away from your faith. And then I think yoga for me brought me back and it didn't necessarily bring me back into what I was expecting because I was raised as like a United Methodist um, and yoga obviously takes a very different approach, but, but you talk about the elements of like what it means and this idea that we are not this physical body. We are not this mind. We're like something else. And yoga kind of teaches you, you can sort of watch your thoughts. And then the question becomes who's watching your thoughts. If you're, if you're, if you're not having them, um, and, and then, you know, just through things that have happened, whether it's synchronicities you know, I think the universe, even though sometimes we don't feel like it, it, I think it always has our backs. And if you call that God, if you call that infinite intelligence, if you call that, you know, Jesus or, or, or whatever, I think there's absolutely a connection that we have to the universe. And I think this year in many ways has underscored that just because of these sweeping emotions and movements that we've all sort of experienced 
even if we're processing it very differently. So I, I absolutely think there's, there's, there's structure to it. And I think that this year has helped a lot of people start to awaken to that. Up to this point, what's the biggest lesson you've learned in life? <sighs> to, you know, um, to keep, to, to really invest in a dream and, and to like not be afraid to dream as big as, as you can imagine. And I think a lot of times we dream, the really big dreams are like material things like, oh, I want a nice car. Oh, I want a big house. And I think what you, certainly what I've come to appreciate is I want experiences. Like I want the experience of like making people smile or like amazing people because of something I've written or something I've said. And it's not because it's, it's a reflection back on me, but it's because I've helped release and see something in them. And so I think the, and, and so I bring that back to a dream because I think anyone, when you really start to carve out what you want from a dream, you absolutely want to feel good in it. But like every dream like that I think of, if you really get to the core of what you want, you want freedom. Everybody wants freedom, freedom to like live on their own terms. And I think like doing that and when you, when you do that for yourself, it's not a selfish thing because you start to realize like, if, if I really want to be free, then like everybody kind of has to be free. And it sounds very sort of peace, love, but I mean, I would contend the world needs a lot of peace and a lot of love right now. What are some of the things that fill your curiosity? Um, I think nature, honestly, um, like it's been so interesting to see um, the way, like either my understanding of nature has changed or nature itself has changed. And what I mean by that is, you know, here in North Carolina, it's been, this has been the most normal fall that I can remember in the past 14 years or so. And what I mean by normal is, most for the past few years, it would feel like super hot in August and then September might like, you might get a couple cold days, but then it would be like back in the nineties. And I think we had like a couple days that have been in the eighties, but otherwise it's felt like fall. It's just felt really crisp. And then I remember early in the pandemic, somebody sent a video of like a, like it was a YouTube video, but there was like a, a bear, a brown bear walking on a road. And there was an orange pylon, one of those orange traffic cones that had fallen over. And the bear walks by and like tilts the traffic cone back up and then keeps on walking. And it was just like, oh, that's cute. Like the bear saw this and like just played with it for a second and turned it back up. But then like I was running at a local park here a couple months back with some friends and we came across a deer just lying 15 feet away from us, just lying, just having a time with it. Like, hey, what's up humans? And um and then like another person came, another jogger came and we're all like, look at this deer. And then the deer started to be like, oh, are you guys getting uncomfortable? Cause I'm gonna leave. And so it left, but, but like just the way how, because of the lack of travel and the lack of, I guess, car pollution, like the planet seems kind of nicer. And I'm not saying that it's, I get it's climate change, but it's also like, I'm appreciating like the planet more and and if there's energy and if the universe is, you know, for all 
um, all matter is energy vibrating a certain frequency, then the universe is part of the energy too. And, and now it's like, there's a greater chance to listen to like the messages that we would sometimes ignore because we're so busy in our own lives. You talk about how failure means that that was something that didn't work in a path that you were trying to take in your life. Yep. What is something that you failed at? Oh man. Well, I think, you know, I really, um, it's funny. I've written two or three horror stories. Um, and they never got off the ground. The first one, like, I, I've, I started writing. So I've probably written 400 pages of three different stories. And the first story was going to be about a park close to where I lived that, and I just come up, I came up with a thing that there was like a evil spirit trapped in a tree. And there was this woman who like, you know, steadfastly kind of kept the spiritual lock on this tree. And then the woman dies and the spirit gets out. And, and I got about like kind of that far into it and I just couldn't do it. And so then, um, and I just threw, I don't, I don't know if I still saved the book or, but like I, but it was 110 pages of a word document. And then, you know, three or four years later, I wanted to write another story. And this one, I had a little bit better idea. Like I wanted it to be about, um, belief, like what we believe, like, what do you really believe? And, and I was going to tie it to like the book of revelation and like, and it was kind of cool because I'd never done this before a book. I, I, st I started writing the book and I was following this priest who had this dark past or something. And, um, I probably got a hundred pages in and then I got, again, the same thing sort of happened. I petered out with it. But then at some point, like I wrote, I, I had the, I had like this awesome, terrifying ending where like these comets that had been like traveling since the big bang were coming into the earth. And each comet was like an angel, but the angels were like 12 feet tall and just like sort of not, in, not indifferent towards human life, but they were here to kill these demons that were coming out of the earth. And, um, I wrote the ending because I thought like I really wanted to sort of feel what that would feel like. And the, the, like it was enough, like I was really excited by how it ended, but then I'm like, it still didn't encourage me to, to write anymore to finish the book. So I think what I learned is, um, I don't know that I, horror was my genre. And I think, you know, I, my first book was a self-help book. My second book is a fiction book. I'm not sure what my third book is going to be classified as, but it, it almost, it almost is a combination of all three. Um, but I certainly, my daughter, every time she's visiting from school, she's like, dad, when are you going to write your horror story? And, and so that's, that's one thing that I learned that I don't know if I'm going to write it um, or if I'm going to try to squeeze it somehow into this third book, which is uh, already has a life of its own. So, um, but I, but I just learned maybe stay away from horror. Speaking of third book, talk about any upcoming projects that you have um, going on that yeah, you think people need the, to know about. Yeah, I guess the best way to explain this book, um, because I don't know what the title is going to be yet. I, I was going to call it, so let me back up. So uh, The Lighthouse Keeper just came out this past summer. Um, I finished the book November of last year uh, and actually was coming out of a relationship and um, I had the idea for my third book, but I wasn't going to do anything with it because I was just starting to do the promotion and podcasts and things for the lighthouse keeper. And then I saw this, I got an email from this company that I'd followed that does crowdfunding for books. 
and it was like a contest for the month of February. And I thought, you know what, do I like, do I even have enough for this? Do I, can I, can I like, do I have the premise of the book? Because I had to submit a video and stuff. And so in some ways I did like 40 takes of the video, but as I did, it was like, I was, I was kind of pitching what this was. And for me, the whole premise of the book was going to be called being B E I N G how to win the game of your life. And the premise of it was who we are is more important than what we do. The reality is everything you do is shaping who you are. So then the question is, okay, how aware of you are the things that you're doing? And if you have patterns in your life that are not healthy or not helping you advance because they're keeping you safe, then those aren't necessarily good patterns that you want to hold on to. And so if you can kind of establish almost first, like who you are and then who you want to become, then you can carve a path. Okay. Who do I, what do I need to do to get from where I am to where I want to be? And so I was going to write sort of this traditional book and I started, I, I wrote 22 pages on a, on a, my Mac and, um, I felt like I was making a pretty good case, but I also felt like it, it didn't just, it didn't feel right. And so um, I, I kind of put the 22 pages aside. I grabbed a journal and I took two pens and I started having a conversation between the two pens. And it was, there would only be like three or four words sometimes on a page. And it would be like, it was kind of like these pens were having a conversation, but it was about the beginning of time and so as like, I, I rewrote the story, like I would write it, it would be 115 pages in a journal, but it would only take you like 20 minutes to read because it wasn't a lot. It wasn't like every page wasn't full of words. It was like really, it was almost like a text conversation, except it was super, super heavy. Like I remember I'd write it and I was so exhausted. I'm like, whoa. And I had people read it and we're like, this is so heavy. It was like only 20 minutes, but oh my gosh. And so as the story evolved, it became this, it kind of like, I think one of the things, let me, let me pause real quick before I talk about this. As a writer, you want to create your voice. Like you want to find the voice. And I think like if you've ever read a Stephen King book or a really good fiction story, it's because the writer has found his voice. And that doesn't mean that they like, create the characters and tell them to say that means the characters kind of create themselves and tell you what the story is going to be and like if you've ever like the, the scariest book i've ever read to this day was pet cemetery um which is this terrifying look at like this father's deep love for his family and so he does this horrible thing by like burying his son in this indian burial ground to bring him back to life and I'm not ruining the, like it's been out. So if you haven't heard it or read it, shame on you. But, um, but like, and he didn't want to publish the book because it's so scary. So for this, for, for me, as the story evolved by like the second or third edition, like one of the voices had become this voice called unconditional love. And, and that was kind of the who I am voice. And then this other voice was conditional love. And that was, well, this is what we do. And so they were still having this argument about, well, is it more important to be, is it more important about who you are or is it more important about what you do? And I still, you know, the first or second, certainly the second, by the second time I had written the book, I was convinced that that was still the righteous cause that who I am is more important than what I do. 
And then this, this conditional love voice kind of came back and said, well, wait a minute. Like what we do, that's what life is. Like we struggle in life. We like, we, we succeed and we fail and we have successes and we have setbacks and triumphs and we get hurt and we love people, but that's, that's all so we can understand like what it really means to be alive. And when I got to that point in the story, it was like, it was, I mean, it was kind of almost shocking to me because the story was becoming so beautiful. But what happened is as I kept rewriting the story weekend after weekend, I got to a point where I couldn't rewrite it anymore because now it was starting, like the characters were starting to take real shape. It wasn't just these two beings called conditional, unconditional love. Um, and so uh, it's, so it's been like, I kind of stepped away from it for the summer because I, I, I realized as much as I wanted to keep writing the book, I had to accept my own creative process and kind of let it work itself out. And so I've just been journaling through the summer and even the journaling has become really beautiful and I'm trying to decide if I'm gonna put that into this book. But, but I think the easiest way to talk about the book is just say it's, it's what it means, like it's, it's what I see true love as in the 21st century in the world we live in. Are there any other topics that I haven't discussed or we haven't talked about that you would like to discuss? I mean, Curveball, I feel like we tackled some pretty good stuff, my friend. This has been an absolute pleasure. Um, so no, I, I think we've covered a lot of ground and I really appreciate it. Well, why don't you go ahead and throw out some contact info, social media links, website, that way people no, can connect you with so you much. and get your books. Yeah, I appreciate it. So uh, davidrichardsauthor.com. I'm on uh, Instagram, David Richards author. I think it's David Richards A2 on Twitter. Um, but uh, certainly if you're interested in, in kind of taking more control of your life, um, finding your purpose and mastering your mind are two strong steps that I would highly encourage you to do. And if, if you, my books don't appeal to you uh, as we go through the, the fall and into winter, um, you know, I certainly encourage you to look for opportunities to take control of your life. Um, and just make the best life you can make. Ladies and gentlemen, David Richards. David, thank you so much for joining me. Curveball, thanks so much. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.